with paragraph uh, 649.1. Uh, the name of this chapter is, though, oh, wait, in a minute. Ministers, order, and organization. Ministers, order, and organization. So before we get started, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to share this live stream on my social media. If you would like to share it on yours, then that would be the time to do it right after we pray before we jump into the other half of this chapter. All right. Um, so let me get back to where we're going to start. And then let's have a word of prayer. Uh, dear kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for another Sabbath day. We thank you for bringing us safely through the week. We pray, Lord, that you would um, send your Holy Spirit to us as we open up this lesson study. Lord, give us understanding. Uh, show us the principles that you want us to derive from this lesson, and may we grasp them, and may we um, be able to apply them into our own lives, Lord Jesus. And um, I just pray, Lord, that um, we will be better for having studied this and uh, keep us in all thy ways is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, so now is the time to share it. If you would like to share it on any of your social media sites, now is the time to do that. So I'm going to do that. Now would be, if you want to, now would be a good time for you to share. So I'm going to do that. I have a couple of groups that I normally share it with. And then I'm going to go back to the lesson and we're going to get started. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Again, we're starting at uh, volume one of Testimonies for the Church, chapter 112, and we're starting at paragraph 649.1. Um, so she starts off this chapter, uh, well, this paragraph saying that ministers should love order and that they should discipline themselves. And then, then only then can they successfully discipline the church of God and teach them to work harmoniously. And she compares uh, the church to a well-drilled company of soldiers. And then she talks about if discipline and order are necessary for a, uh, a, um, a military company, then it, it, how much more is it necessary when we're engaged in spiritual warfare? Uh, and, and, and how much more needful is it uh, when we engage in spiritual warfare for discipline and order? And um, she says uh, that um, in this conflict, eternal interests are at stake. So, so um, even more discipline and order would possibly be necessary. Um, what do you all think about that? One of, the thing, one of the things I always think about is that there are a lot of people in church who resist organization. They resist discipline. They resist uh, administration. They just resist working as a team because they want to just do stuff on their own, which includes evangelistic effort. And mm -hmm. so instead of people coming together to make plans properly, and work, you know, as a unit, like it says here, a well-drilled company of soldiers. Mm -hmm. You just think they're just going to go out there and say, Lord, bless our efforts. And then as mm -hmm. we'll read down later, that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. So it's always interesting to me that people say the church isn't a business. It is a business. It's in the business of soul winning. Mm -hmm. In order to have a business, you have to have organization and you have to have administration and you have to have people willing to follow that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. You know what I love to see? I love to see a company of soldiers walking and they're walking as one. You, can, they're, you know what I'm saying? They are in perfect unison. You all ever see that? No. And they're, they're just in perfect unison. Nobody's out of step. Nobody's even their arms. Everything is just perfectly matched. Yeah, I was in the service. So yeah, I saw it on occasion, but a lot of times you just have people who just refuse 
to follow orders. Mm. And so there'll be the one person, two, one or two people. They know they can do it. They just refuse mm. to follow orders. And it's still, as I said, people in church are there's some people in church like that. It can be perfectly logical. They know how to do it. They just don't want to do it. Uh, mm, yeah. Well, you know, the wheat and the tear grow together. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, this next paragraph talks about how harmoniously angels work together. And it says perfect order characterizes all their movements. Could you imagine that? A world where people were in perfect harmony all the time? I can't even imagine that, really. Perfect order all the time. Every movement was in perfect order. I, I think about like some of those uh, Olympic uh, swimmers that that uh, the synchronized swimming. Mm -hmm. I love to watch that, by the way. <laughs> I love to watch that synchronized swimming. Um, and of course, some of them are more synchronized than others. You know, so some of them, of course, get more points than others. But um, I don't I don't know if I could even imagine a world where we were just in perfect order, perfect synchrony. Um, and it's, she says, the more closely we imitate the harmony and order of the angels, the more successful we will be. Will the efforts of these heavenly agents be in our behalf? And she says, if we see no necessity for harmonious action and are disorderly, undisciplined and disorganized in our course of action and the angels who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order, they cannot work for us successfully and they turn away in grief. For they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorganization. What do you think about that? Well, you had mentioned the synchronized swimming. Mm -hmm. And that's a good example. Uh, remember, some of the churches still have pathfinders. And so they had a pathfinder marching team. And if you, you know, I know you guys have been to Oshkosh and stuff. So when you see the winning team, you can see a big difference in between the winning team and the losing teams. And it's just perfect. It's almost perfect. Everybody's stepping at the same time. Everybody's moving their arms the same distance. Everybody's got their head looking the same direction. And it makes a huge difference. And if we can recognize that, again, in evangelistic efforts, we have to realize we all have to be moving in unison. We can't just be out there all haphazard and slipshod. And then, as you just said, the angels can't even work for us successfully because we refuse to do our very best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it says, those who have the unction from on high will in all their efforts encourage order, discipline, and union of action. And then, only then can the angels of God cooperate with us. She says, but never, never, never will these heavenly messengers place their endorsement upon irregularity, disorganization, and disorder. So that tells me like when we're planning an evangelistic effort and different people are wanting to do different things and there's no harmony of action and everybody wants to go off and do their own thing, like you were kind of saying, Lee, yeah, there's uh, what 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 fruit is that going to bring? You know, rotten fruit. And, and <laughs> it's not just with evangelism, but in everything we do. Like we got the uh, events coming up. We got the backpack Sabbath. We had the prevent suicide conference. We had a concert. Thank you, Lord, concert. And mm -hmm. the folks who have you know who the Holy Spirit is working through, we have to encourage. We have to encourage others to be orderly and disciplined and work in their lane and not just try and be all disorganized. You know, it's, it's very disheartening when you've planned an event and you got it all mapped out and then somebody just jumps all in the middle and starts doing their own thing. And you mm -hmm. just, you know, you just want to go upside their head, but you just tell them, look, this is how we got it planned. And of course, they have all the reasoning why the way they're doing it's going to work better. But you should have been in those meetings where we discussed all those things. And you should have been in the meetings to push your thoughts and ideas on what's going to work and why. So it's mm -hmm. the same way when you look at uh, when you look at a group of beautiful swans swimming across the lake, 
they look all great, perfectly in order. But when you look underneath the water, that's where you see all the turmoil going and all the, the paddling and the kicking and splashing going on. It's like that at church. Do all the kicking and splashing in the meetings. Do all the turmoil at the board meeting, the business meeting, the elders meeting, the media team meeting, the stewardship team meetings. That's where all the kicking and splashing go. But once you get that project started, you need to be like those swans on top of the water, perfect and orderly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then the next paragraph talks about how Satan knows the perfect order and subjection and discipline of heaven and, and, and the, the angelic host. So it is his study and his effort to lead professed Christians as far from that, away from that as possible. So he deceives even the professed people of God. And like you were saying, he makes them believe that that discipline and order are enemies to spirituality. And that the only safety for them is to let them each pursue their own course. Everybody goes down their own pathway. And, and, to you, always, and you always hear, I'm going to interrupt you real quick because you hit on mm -hmm. that point, to mm -hmm. make them think they're, they're enemies to spirituality, which is why you got people saying, Oh, you don't have enough faith. Oh, your mm. faith is weak. Oh, you need to pray more. That's just a trick of the devil to discourage and dishearten people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and so, and, and, and Satan knows that unity, discipline, and order will accomplish so much good for God's people. So, so, so his thing is break all that up. Mm -mm. Don't, don't get that going. Break it up. And so um, we have to ask for eyes. We have to look through eyes of faith. That's what we have to do. And not look at what's right in front of us, what we can see. But we have to look past what we can see through eyes of faith. Um, yeah, we have to look with eyes of faith, but then we got to move out in action of faith. Too. Right, right. So right. when you think about it, the devil's job is to create confusion and cause people to think that discipline and order are enemies. Like you think about this, God's way is always the right way. We all know that even though sometimes we don't follow it, but we know his way always works if we follow his plan. So when you think about just a tithe and offering system, if all the members were truly following the tithe and offering system, our church wouldn't lack for anything. We wouldn't have to be having fundraisers, we wouldn't have to beg people for any uh, assistance. We'd have all the schools built beautifully. We'd have beautiful churches. We'd be having uh, homeless ministry with nice facilities for the homeless. We wouldn't have to lack anything. But because the devil's in the mix telling people, oh, no, they, they just trying to keep all your money. No, you need that money or your light's going to go out. Just causing uh, disharmony and causing people to look badly upon one another. And that's even for the whole conference as well as the GC. If we follow God's way and not allow the devil to get in the middle of it, our church would be so much farther ahead in helping people and in spreading the gospel and in, uh, eliminating homelessness and poverty amongst the people that we are in contact with. It would be miraculous, literally. Mm -hmm. But the devil is doing his job with sowing the distance the um, disharmony and the people's belief that discipline and enemies are uh, that discipline and order are enemies to spirituality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she says that these are deceived souls who consider it a virtue to boast of their freedom to think and act independently. Mm -hmm. And they won't take any man say so. And they are, they're not amenable to any man. And she said that, she was shown it's Satan's special work to lead these men to feel that it is in God's order for them to strike out for themselves and choose their own course and be independent of their brethren. So then she goes into this, this uh, recount of the children of Israel. And uh, after leaving Egypt, um, she said they were very organized and thoroughly disciplined. Uh, and then she talks about how uh, God qualified Moses to stand at the head. Um, but then God had, the, the Lord had special rules 
like he had a rule concerning um, his tabernacle, his holy tabernacle. What, do you all remember what that rule was? Who was to bear the tabernacle? The Levites. Uh-huh, right. And then um, God also decided when and where they would settle. And how did he how did he make that known to them? Well, he stopped. You know, the, uh, I think it was the cloud by day that he would stop where uh -huh. set up camp. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then it says in all their journeys, they were required to observe perfect order and that every tribe bore a standard with the sign of their father's house upon it. I imagine that was some sort of flag or something like we would see now or some sort of family crest or something. Mm -hmm. And um, then when they when the when the ark moved the army's journey and the different tribes were marching in order under their own standard or family crest or whatever. And as you mentioned, the Levites were the one designated by God to, to bear the ark. And then Moses and Aaron marched in front of it. The sons of Aaron followed near them and they were bearing trumpets and they received directions from Moses and then they used the trumpets to signify to the people instructions. And the trumpets gave certain sounds so that the people understood from whatever sound the trumpets gave what their marching orders were. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. and, can you imagine, and can you imagine what happened when somebody hit a wrong note on a trumpet <laughs> or somebody decided, I'm just going to. Watch me ad lib this nice trumpet riff in here. People gonna oh, love it. No, that's no not, such that's thing. No such thing. They did exactly what they were. They gave the sound that they that they were supposed to give, and it went throughout the camp. That they, you know, I imagine they were positioned at different points because you know there were, it was quite a multitude of people, and so I imagine there was someone stationed, you know daisy chained along throughout the camp so that you know everyone could hear the trumpet sound and know what they were supposed to do when it was time to break camp or set, settle for camp or whatever the case may be and um, i think it's a, a problem when parents refuse to discipline their children to listen and to obey the instructions mm -hmm. you know and if you just allow your kid you tell your kid pick up both of those socks and they pick up one and walk away and you don't do nothing. You're just teaching them not to listen to instruction and not to mm -hmm. show any discipline. And it's going to end up biting them later in life when they get a job or when they're in a situation where they must follow directions exactly. And they through lack of discipline, haven't learned to do it. And then they end up getting hurt or hurting someone else. You know, mm -hmm. we said uh, when Holly was a little girl, we would, uh, play what we call a little game, Holly one time. And we would, were teaching her to do what we asked her to do the first time. Mm. Not the second, third, and fourth, and fifth time. Do what we asked you to do the first time. And mm. that's what I think all kids need to learn. Do what you're asked the first time. Do it like you're being asked to do it. Don't just think, well, I got a better idea. I'm going to do it like this, or I'll do it later, or whatever. Discipline. It's a huge difference when you're an adult and you have responsibilities. Yeah, and that's funny because my grandson is good for doing things the way he thinks they need to be done instead of following instructions. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, and so um, the people understood the trumpet sounds because I guess they had been trained to understand when it gives this sound, this is what you're supposed to do. When it gives this sound, this is what you're supposed to do. So they understood. So um, it says that there was no confusion in the sound of the trumpets. And so there was no excuse for confusion in the people's movements. Mm -hmm. And then it said that if anybody failed to comply with the requirements given by the Lord to Moses, and then by Moses to the people, they were punished with death. Mm. Mm. Pretty good deterrent. Yes. And it would be no excuse for them to plead that they did not know the nature of the requirements. For they would only prove themselves willingly ignorant. What is willing ignorance? Lakita, can you answer that for me? What's willing ignorance? Uh, <coughs> they don't want to know. They intentionally do their best not to under, try to mm. not to understand, make excuses mm. 
for not following it. Yeah, yeah. And then it says right in the next sentence, it says, if they did not know the will of God concerning them, that was their own yes, fault. Their own fault. They had the same opportunity to obtain the knowledge imparted uh, as others of the people had. And therefore, their sin of not knowing and not understanding was as great in the sight of God as if they had heard and then transgressed. So uh, I remember there was a commercial, I think it was an insurance commercial and it was an ostrich with his head buried in the sand. Yeah. And so if, in, in other words, if the people, if someone did not know it was because they intentionally stuck their head in the sand and said, bah, 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 when somebody tried to, bah, 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 you know what I'm saying? Another way it could be too, I think this might fall in the same category as scoffing. You know, you hear it, but you don't believe it's some poor. Now we don't really have to mm -hmm. do all that. It don't take all that. Putting too much into it. Yeah. Uh -huh. I'll tell you one thing where it's talking about there was no confusion of sound in the voice of the trumpet, therefore, no excuse for confusion. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that kids constantly complain about if you put them in organized sports, they just repeat, repeat, repeat the same play over and over and over because when it's the call for the play, they don't want confusion. You know, it's going to ruin everything. So it's the same way also in, in the service. You know, they have you doing all these marching and all these drills and all these techniques so that when you get in the heat of battle, you don't have to think about it. You get the command and you do it instantly. One of the commands they used to have in the service, they don't so much anymore, but back when they were using nerve gas and stuff, they had one command and all the commander would say is gas, You'd yell out gas. And that meant stop whatever you're doing, immediately put on your gas mask. Mm. And if you didn't do it, your penalty was going to be death. So mm. they train you constantly, stop whatever you're doing. I don't care if you're taking a cigarette break, using mm. the restroom, tying your shoe, stop what you're doing and put on that mask or else. Mm. Yeah. When you think about it from the perspective that you guys are talking, you know, uh, it would be a whole bunch of people just dropping dead for real. You know, if life was mm -hmm. like that where the Lord told you, then bam, dead. You know, because people just are scoffers. They just don't believe it. Mm -hmm. I don't take all that. They always try. They do too much. Yeah. They be doing way too much. <laughs> too much. Talking, it'll take all that. We ain't got to pay no tithing offering. You know, we ain't got to be eating. We can eat what we want to eat. They always be telling people. Then they come right back with, you know, what kind of illness they got later. Yeah, this is bad. Scoffer, I think it was a scripture where the scoffers got in a lot of trouble, got killed, I believe. But you think about, too, again, we're just applying all this to how we are supposed to respond to God's direction as church family, we'll have to be hearing the same sound of the trumpet and we all have to uh, take the same actions of the trumpet. Mm -hmm. When the Lord says, do thus and so, thus and so it should be. It shouldn't be thus and that. He didn't say thus and that. He said thus and so and do it or else you're going to pay, pay the penalty for not doing what he asked you to do. And again, like you had read, if you don't, Know the will of God concerning yourself is your own fault because he's mm -hmm. telling everybody he's given us opportunity now to hear his voice while he is near and to call upon him while we can, because there'll come a time where you, people are going to be seeking the Lord and he's not going to be found. Mm -hmm. They're going to be listening for his voice and it'll be too late. And it says uh, the, the latter rain will be raining all around people. They don't recognize it because they didn't in tune their voice to the sound of the trumpet. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think about the fact that the word of God is the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet for us in our time, in our day. It is that it's giving us a certain sound and it's instructing us of what manner of person we ought to be and instructions to the kingdom, <laughs> so to speak. And we need to be listening. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's instructing us on the way to the kingdom and we need to be listening. And but but like you said, Lee, scoffers, 
we we are our generation and the generation after us is guilty of scoffing and unbelief and doubt and fear and all kind of things. And there's plenty of scriptures and stories in the Bible showing God told people to do A and the people end up doing B and getting punished. And then people are like, why is God so harsh? Because discipline and order is what he lives by. It's what what's in heaven. And if you can't be disciplined down here, you're in heaven. Right. heaven. Now, yes, hello, of, everyone. I came I, I, in a little late, so I don't really know where we are. But I will say one thing. When it comes to doing God's will, there's always somebody, and I'm just going to use me as an as an example. That's why do you need to know all this Ellen White stuff? You ain't going to use it. It's always somebody there that's going to tell the ones that are trying the hardest to learn what God wants us to learn. That's why we have to stay focused in the word. But it's always somebody there that will say, why do you need to know this? But then they're not willing to teach you. And so I'm like, you you don't think I need this based on what you what you cannot tell me if I ask the question. But once I learn it, then you say, well, where are you going to use it at? You know what, Cassie, <laughs> you're bringing up something that um, is very important because we were we were on. Uh, I'm going to share a paragraph with you. Uh, we're in uh, paragraph 650 and I guess three, 650. No, you know, no, 651.1. One. And in that paragraph, we read this, if any failed to comply with the requirements given by the Lord to Moses and by Moses' people, they were punished with death. So you just brought up the spirit of prophecy and the, the fact that there are people who are saying to you, you should not read that. But then before you came <laughs> on, then um, our leader, Karen, she brought up the fact that she, she pointed out willful ignorance. And really, Karen... In today's word, and what passages told us, people are willfully ignorant about Sister White. That there's going to be the, the cause for that, the penalty for that is death. You know, we're not getting by with nothing by not reading her, her words, by not reading the words that God left for us. And some people say the Bible and the Bible only, you know, and stuff. There are, I'm sure everything is in the Bible, but there are some things in her writings that makes the Bible so much more clearer. It makes it more um, specific. It gives you a clear view of God and stuff. And um, so then just choosing to be willfully ignorant. And in that case, when you bring up how you're studying LNG writing, how you went to the discipleship class, they said this, or, you know, on the line, they talked about that. And Sister White, we read the devotion, this. And they're like, man, why you got to do all that? You think, you know, you don't have to do all that, rolling their eyes and, making faces at the person behind them and that person is scoffing too. Yeah. This is called willful ignorance. Mm -hmm. And it is not cute. It is not funny. And in fact, it's deadly. That's what it's saying right here. Would you agree with that, Karen? Or am I going to? Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that that's a perfect example. And I'm going to remind you guys why I started teaching from Testimonies for the Church. Because as I was studying and reading myself, and I, I apologize, I cannot pinpoint where exactly it is because I do so much reading and studying. And at the time, I didn't think to mark where it was. I read it. But Sister White said in, in, in one of her writings, she said, if you're going to study anything for the end time, she said, read, read and study testimonies for the church. She said, even above the conflict series, she said, read and study testimonies for the church. And so that's why I picked it to start reading and studying it, because it has insights in it that are not necessary, that are, that are for us for the end times. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Karen. Okay, to use and apply into our lives. One of the things, too, I was thinking about is people, you know, willfully ignorant and don't want to do what God asked. And God's no respecter of person. All we have to do is think about even a few people in the scriptures that he told to do something. They didn't do it and they paid a price for it. Adam and Eve paid a big price for not doing what God asked. Moses, he told him, speak to the rock and he struck it. He had to pay a price. Um, Hophni and Phineas told them not to be lighting strange fire in the instance holder, and they paid a price. You think about Uzzah, who thought he was doing right, but he ended up paying a price for touching that ark. He wasn't a Levite. He's not supposed to touch it. And there's plenty of people you can think of. Ananias and Sapphira, 
God is, he's serious. He, what he says, he means. You know, like many people, like someone just said to me about like Uzzah, like, well, you know, he was trying to help. He was trying to do this and that, you know? And so it's like, um, this goes along with in the New Testament when it says the people will be saying, Lord, Lord, I did this. I cast out mm -hmm. dynamic said, he said, you know, get out of my face. I don't know you, you know, right. Um, right. this is the exact same thing. It's kind of to me, you know, I know I could hear myself saying, oh, you know, it ain't gonna matter. Let me hold this thing up and then I would be dead, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, that, that just goes to show that there are gonna be many people who are misguided and misdirected and thinking they're right. Yeah, you know, and and, and really, as a, there was a lack of reverence for God. He just didn't believe it was that important. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. we, Lord, just help us. Cause I know, you know, any given day I could be thinking about, well, you know, like I know I shouldn't be eating this sugar, not just because sugar is not necessarily good, but because it really does affect, um, you know, my pain level in terms of, I don't even think it's arthritis. I think it's just sedentary lifestyle has gotten to me. And so, um, and if you're trying to get well, that's something I have to give up. <coughs> but then, you know, in my mind, uh, it's just, you know, this and that, Lord help me. Cause you know, the Lord is telling you what to do. You're praying, Lord, help me, show me what to do. And then when he tells you, you're like, oh, I don't really think it's that important. You know, just four more pieces of cake and out, you know, that ain't going <laughs> to And the Lord says he would rather have obedience than sacrifice. sacrifice. Why? Right. He right. don't want you to sacrifice your life or health or salvation. He just wants you to obey and follow his word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh Patsy, we're moving down to um, paragraph yep. 615.1. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the Lord designated a special tribe to bear the ark. Uh, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, but what tribe was that? The Levites. The Levites. Correct. And it says, and down in the middle of that paragraph, it says, God did not leave his holy tabernacle to be born, erected, and taken down indiscriminately by any tribe who might choose themselves the office. But persons were chosen who could appreciate the sacredness of the work in which they were engaged. Anybody remember, recall the story in the Bible of why God chose the Levites? I was just thinking about that. I don't read, I can't remember it right off. Okay. Anybody? And I, didn't didn't he choose them because he they he wanted them to go out to to spread the word to across you know across the uh, continent or you want to say the world that 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 <laughs> they would represent him in the true manner that he in which he wanted them to. Um, not exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, from what I remember, remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he was up there 40 days? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. While he was up on the mountain, uh the people convinced Aaron to build the golden calf. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and when he came down, the people were worshiping the golden calf and celebrating and feasting and all of that to the golden calf. And uh -huh. then Aaron, which, you know, was kind of crazy to me. He said, well, they, the people forced me to do it. But anyway, Moses took the thing and he, 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 he melted it down and ground up the, the gold and everything. Um, and then Moses basically said, who is with me? And he said, kill the people that, 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 that instigated this. And the Levites rose up and said, we are with you and we will do as you ask. That's why they were chosen. Okay. That yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because they recognized they recognized and obeyed God and they recognized and obeyed Moses. Well, Mo Moses' instructions, basically. And so they were appointed the work of the of the ark. Okay. Um, so basically, you know, going back to the Levites were chosen because they recognized the sacredness of the work in which they were engaged. And they did not turn away at, at, in the very beginning when, when Moses said, you know, kill the people that started this, you know, worshiping Baal, because how quickly, and, but, 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 you know, it, it, 
in actuality, we have to remember that the children of Israel, there was probably, it was a mixed multitude. I'll put it like that. And that many of the Egyptians went with them because not because they believed in the one true God, but because they saw that the plagues were not affecting the Israelite camp. And so they chose to go with the people of God and they chose to stay by them and stay with them because they saw that God's hand was with them. And even in, even in our churches today, there's always a mixed multitude. We have to be very careful who we're listening mm -hmm. to and hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so then it, the next paragraph, 652.2, just talks about the, the how the travels of the children of Israel faithfully described their deliverance, which the Lord brought, the perfect order, their perfect organization and special order their sin and murmuring against Moses and thus against God, their transgressions, their rebellions, their punishments, how uh, when they, uh, when the spies brought back the report of, of the land of Canaan and how they're giants and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then they were doomed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all those above the age of 20 had died. Uh, so their carcasses were strewn in the wilderness because of their unwillingness to submit to God's arrangements. Uh, all of this is, is, is brought up before us in the Bible as a warning, least, lest any of us should follow their example of disobedience. And so, you, you know, what, Sister Karen, I've always had a question about that. And, and, and I, I think it might sound a little stupid because y'all, you know, y'all study deeper into this. But I've often thought about why did they come back and lie? What was what was what were they going to gain from lying? You see what I'm saying? What you mean lying from lying? When they came back and said, you know, they're this and that size, and you know we can't beat them, and et cetera. What did what did they think they were going to gain from? I guess putting fear in people. I don't know that they thought they were lying. They just had no faith. Okay. Like, All right. And it could be that, that you know, because um, we were talking about the Philistines and those people, Canaanites, they, they might very well have been much taller people than the children of Israel. And so to them, they might have considered them giants. Also, too, you know, I think about it like this, Hesse, too, that um, they start to look at themselves and not at what God could do. Mm -hmm. because they had this view of themselves that they were not tough mm -hmm. enough they're not you know big right. enough, they're not you know and they were coming from a slave mentality right which, right which you know was still with them right so they right. were coming and again they were a mixed multitude right so, and, uh yeah which 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 most of them were well i won't say most of them but let's just say even half of them were non-believers so then you have non-believers you have the ones that that could possibly that were the people of God were enslaved for uh and not really they weren't enslaved for 400 years because I through a study that I did with someone else it was possibly a hundred a hundred maybe 160 years they were actually enslaved um but they came out of a mentality of slavery and so you know, it wasn't much time between the time they left Egypt and the time they arrived at the borders of, of Canaan land. The distance, the actual distance was the distance between St. Louis and Kansas City. So, so it didn't take them long to arrive. It did not take them long to arrive at the borders of Canaan land. I wonder too, in this lesson where the people had um, wandered for 40 years, until the last person had died that was over the age of what, 21 or 18, whatever the age was. 20, over the age of 20, yeah. 20, uh, the age of what, 29? 20, 20. 19. Yeah, 1920. Okay, so uh, they want, I wonder if the Lord is saying to us that that mindset of doubt was so pervasive, so instilled, so deep rooted that you know he had to do away with that generation because they were not going to be able to you know um maintain a consistent relationship with god or belief in god 
That, that's I always wonder about because I do believe this is about, and I'm not for sure that I would continue to think of it as a punishment so much as God working to bring people's mindset up to learn to trust him and have faith in him. So they had to go through the wilderness, you know, again. And this kind of, to me, is like us too in our lives. You know, we get, you can get um, traumatized in childhood or, um, you know, wounded in childhood, get this concept, uh, perception of who you are that's not right. And maybe God is saying to us, it can take a lifetime to get that stuff out of you, you know, but you have to, you know, you're going to go through something trying to get out of it, you know. And also, I think, too, he got rid of them because their negativity would have poisoned the younger generation. And then mm -hmm. they would have grown up feeling negative, discouraged, not trusting in the Lord. And they hadn't, not all of them had even seen all the miracles, the younger kids. So they would have had doubts, too. And God just mm -hmm. can't use those people. And again, like we're going back to what we're reading, we have to be obedient. We have to be disciplined and we have to have faith and trust in God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's very interesting to me is, is that even though those above the age of 20 did not go into Canaan land, we still have the, the I want to say, the spirit of disobedience following the children of Israel because they ended up in captivity anyway mm -hmm. because of their disobedience, because of their lack of belief and lack of faith. And they were worshiping the idols that were in the lands that they went into. Yeah, but you know, I think sometimes it's like it would have been so much worse if they were still around. You know what I mean? If they did take that stuff into them. What happened to our thing? Can you yeah. hear us? Karen, you can hear us? I can. Yeah, we yeah. can hear you. Oh, okay. So, um, well, you know, it, it's, it is, if they had been allowed to go in to uh, Canaan and taken all that with them and stuff, then, and I think that's when you look at the church, that's why we have discord and, and uh, disunity because people bringing their backpacks in with them full of the wrong stuff, full of the wrong <laughs> attitudes and Dawson, it just it just takes a lot of prayer and asking God to help us. And one thing too, along with what Lakita is saying, if you have an organization, <clears throat> if you have an organization, and and you got a like half half people trust the Lord, half don't trust Him, you better off getting rid of all the people who are don't trust Him and just starting over with what you got. Just like with Gideon's army. It wasn't a matter of quantity of people. It was quality of those people. So even if you have an organization, even a department, and you got naysayers and troublemakers and people who just stick in the mud and don't want to move forward, don't trust the Lord for anything, you better off asking them to leave. Get out of our group. Go find another group because we're trying to move forward and you're hindering us. And, you know, we can see that with um, my Trump, you know, this recent, um, I guess, I don't know what it was that they gave the, um, they were the border, what is the thing that Biden then put together? It was a border. Um, immigration policy. It was immigration policy. And then they gave the the um, Republicans everything that they wanted in that, pop, that new policy or whatever. But there's Trump on the outside telling them don't accept it. And they didn't accept it because Trump needs something to have to be running on. He can't, and they also don't want to give that win. But the bottom line is not just get rid of them, but they can't, you can't have them like be close upon the group. Because if they get a, a foot in your group without you knowing they're there, that's another monkey wrench in your program. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sometimes you, it's like you can give the most beautiful speech you want to give at church, you know, sermon, whatever. But if you got somebody out there, you know, as soon as it's, it's over with, yeah. Did you hear him say that, girl? Mm. You know, he ain't doing that himself. He's talking about other people. You know, it's like, it's just tearing the situation down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've also noticed, too, that 
when you have that uh, a small group that's trying to be productive and saying, Lord, you know, we, we don't know if we can do it, but you, we know you're with us, you and the Holy Spirit, then you always have that negative group saying, why do they think they can do that? We tried it before. You see what I'm saying? But this time it could be different because God is leading a different you know, a group of mindset people. And, you know, I always say, you know, it, it, and my mom used to tell us, if once you don't succeed, try again. And I said, you know, when you think of what God is doing, what may not have worked for one set of group that tried it, maybe they, and I'm not saying they didn't pray and they didn't ask God, but maybe God had a different group that he's saying, I need them to learn a lesson. So I need them in that position so they can get stronger in their faith. And I just hate it when, you know, when they say, well, I don't know why Sister So-and-so want to try that because it's been tried before and it's been done before and it didn't work. And I'm like, let's give them a chance. Just give them a chance. <laughs> you yeah. know, I always, I always like this quote that says, the people who are saying it can't be done are getting in the way of those of us who are doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You have to be careful too because people are just like unhappy, right? So they don't want to try nothing. They just, <laughs> and every time you or somebody else want to do something, it's, you know, like it's like a, um, a grit in their shoe because they like, I don't want to do nothing for real. It ain't that thing that they don't want to do. They just don't want to do nothing. <laughs> so, right. You know, right. here you come in with energy and happiness and joy looking fresh and like a daisy they like uh-uh i'm gonna destroy all that before we leave her today <laughs> i'm gonna make it over to patsy i'm gonna make sure she thinks she's happy mm, i'm gonna i'm gonna knock that smile off her face real fast so you know you just have to be aware that it, it's, it's it's not you it don't have anything to do with anybody really except the person who's there feeling all miserable and trying to pull everybody else into the misery bed with her and I think it's okay to get rid of those people. If that's how they're going to be, it's okay to get rid of folk. You think about what we just read. God got rid of all the naysayers and the uh, people who didn't trust in him. So if we have people in our groups, our departments, or in our churches who are just constantly pulling back, constantly causing problems, constantly resisting moving forward, I think it's okay to say, you know what, we just don't really need you in this in this department or in this project or whatever, maybe later something will come up that you might be helpful with. But for right now, we just prefer that you don't work with us on this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll just see how you get persecuted at church. <laughs> I, I can hear it now. And Brother Curl, uh, you know, somebody did all they did was make a suggestion and he got mad and kicked him out the group. You know, I mean, he ain't no real Christian. <laughs> but, mm. you know, you also got to think about the leaders uh, that's leading the flock. If they're not willing to even take a suggestion from, from the flock and it's my way or the highway because I'm the pastor or whatever, then, you know, you kind of look at that and say, Lord, you know, I'm praying for that individual because other individuals may have a very, very good idea, but, you know, some people take things so personal. And like, like I said, when you got a pastor saying it's my way or the highway, well, you're going to have a lot of people going on the highway saying, okay, I got to find somewhere else to go to even let somebody hear my thoughts. <laughs> you sure well, will. That's people exactly. afraid to leave. Right, right. Or, or, or what you do is, too, you demotivate people. Because they not believe me, what you just because you say it's my way or the highway, that don't mean they bad into your mess. That just mean that they're gonna, you know, sit back, do nothing, and you know, wait this out. They know you're gonna be leaving in a few more years anyway, so they don't have to be get all upset about it, or whatever. But you absolutely, I just think you demotivate people, and we can't afford to have unmotivated Christians. We just can't. We sure cannot. We need help. We know you can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves. God didn't design the work that way that one person can do all of it by themselves. Right, right, right. And, and, but, and it, but you notice when we were studying today that even though when when Moses came down and, and he, 
you know, let Aaron know, you know, this is wrong. This is what we're going to do. God has a ram, a, a ram in the bush that when you don't want to do something that God has asked you to do, or God's given a vision to others to do it, and you say it's my way or the highway, God will put them in a vineyard where they can be used. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then let you see the great outcome of the work. <laughs> You'll be able to, you know, people be able to, I hope it don't work. Well, you know, God, God has a way. So, yeah. That's absolutely right. And, and mm, God will show up and show out when he's ready. Mm -hmm, he will, you know. And for everybody to, you know, like um, the pastor who says my way or the highway, the people who, you know, are sitting in the congregation and those who are working. This is God showing everybody what they're made of. Is anybody in the group going to speak up to the pastor and say, wait a minute, you know, we've been doing this for 50,000 years. It works. We like it. You know, or pastor, I think that everybody should be a part and be doing something in the Lord's vineyard. You know, are you going to speak up? Or are we just getting ready to let these people walk over us? That's the first thing. Second thing, as a congregate member, you know, what you're going to do? Are you going to just like faint out, you know, are you going to get up and move and go where you can move for the Lord? What's, what's going to happen? And he's showing everybody who they are. So if we just take a look at how we are responding to things. And so some people, when we started going to the top, they were like, I ain't letting nobody run me out of my church. I don't own a church. Mm -hmm. I own one church. I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a member of a church and I'm okay if I get ran out. I guess if that's how you want to look at it. But it's left up to me. I can be at the church, become completely um, disenfranchised, unmotivated, demotivated, and just angry. And eventually, where I can just be sitting on that on that pew, like everybody else, not connected to Jesus at all. Because I'm that's right. Uh -huh. And and that's the problem. People don't see when you're connected with Jesus. You are listening to his voice because he's already said, my sheep know my voice. Mm -hmm. If God tells you, and I'm just going to use an example, you go down there to Berean and you help them out at community service. That's not the time to tell God, well, you know, God, they really ain't my home church. And, you know, I really no. When God said go, he meant go. I agree, I agree with that. You know, that we're, it's supposed to we're working in God's vineyard, which is worldwide, Right. It's not just yeah. in the area, you know, county area. It's it's worldwide. So you know, if uh, they need help over here, or if they didn't, they don't even have to call you. You just happen to the Lord say, "Hey, listen, go over to help out over at Berean or at Northside or at Tabernacle Praise." You know, go over, go do it. You know, it's it's a blessing over there for you. It's a reason He's sending you over there. So go over there. And stuff, but yeah, people will tell you. Well, you know, I'm gonna if, if it was my church, no, you don't own the church, sweetie. We're supposed to go into God's church. <laughs> At some point, we gotta face the truth that the church is not the building itself, the church is within us, the spirit of God is within us, mm -hmm. and we can go amen and still do God's work. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if I'm at Parker Road or Northside or Agape or whatever the church name. Because all those buildings are going to be destroyed anyway. Mm -hmm. But Christ is within us. Mm -hmm. And remember, Jesus switched church too. First, mm -hmm. he said, my father's house should be called a house of prayer for all people. Later on, he said, your house is left to you desolate. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, I hate to say this real quick. And you know, you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit when you walk through the door of a church. And 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 I always go back to the time I was at at, at Tabernacle of Praise, and they said they were going out to to feed the hunger, and I was like, Lord, I'm just gonna go home, and go to bed. I said, because I can't do no walking. But it was, I mean, it's amazing how the sisters say, sit at the table, we'll have something for you to do. And I enjoyed, you know, filling the bags and, and sitting there and fellowshipping and, you know, putting the different stuff in. And I thought, Lord, I would have went home and missed the opportunity that you and the Holy Spirit had opened up through these people to let me sit down and gave me something to do. And it was like, I was like, Lord, I just thank you for the tops. <laughs> 
And I think people are finally getting it too that, you know, we, everybody don't have to do the same thing. You know, some people just ain't like Karen talking about like she like to knock on doors. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to fill the bag so you can go ahead out there and knock on those doors. You know, but everybody, you know, it's just not geared up and, and um, ready for that particular thing. Like if you notice, everybody wasn't a Levite. You know what I'm saying? Only some people got to be a Levite. You know, the Levites were the Levites. You know, you couldn't just jump up and say, I want to join that group because I like the color of the tent. That, that's not, or is that's a, a prestigious space because they get to kill those sheep and everything. That's not what, that's not for you. So, you know, um, everybody, I think everybody should have a part that they can do and they enjoy in church. And we're just getting to that place you know, after thousands of years of making people go out and do what they don't want to do. But, um, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing when you can find a ministry that you like doing and and enjoy doing. And, want, and it will have components to it you don't like. But because you like it, you do that part too. And see, I'm one of those people, like when Alvira Harris called me a couple of weeks ago, and she didn't tell us until that night at the end. She said, well, the people Sister Harper filled in for was Andre and Karen Lewis. And mm -hmm. I thought, and, and, you know, I had told her months and months ahead after one time she had me to do it. I said, well, I'm really not cut out for that. I said, but if you ask me to do the prayer, you know, because she was asking, you know, what do you like to do? And then when she called me, and I, I ain't going to lie, I saw her name, and she started talking in my answer machine. I picked up and I said, oh, she just going to ask me, do it. will I do the closing prayer or whatever? When she said, I want you to fill in. And I was like, okay. And then mm -hmm. when she told me, she said, and here's, here's the, the, the desire agents uh, chapter. I said, oh, like that. And she said, oh, you'll be just fine. And I, I mean, I started. She called me on a Sunday. I went to lie. I, I, I said, and I got my little stuff written out on Monday. I said, Lord. I said, you and the Holy Spirit just going to have to leave me. I said, because I'm out of my comfort zone. <laughs> and then another sister from Agape called me later. And she said, girl, you was good. She said, you, she said, no, you ain't out of your comfort zone. She said, you just have to let the Holy Spirit lead you. I told her, I said, all week. I kept saying, Lord, I am not the one for this. I was like Moses trying to convince the Lord. It's not Patsy, me that you need to do this. But Patsy, you're an educator. How, how could you be out of your comfort zone? Because I can do It's fine when I'm doing it, when I'm talking to teens and stuff. But when I'm talking to adults, even though I did it on the phone and, you know, I didn't have no PowerPoint and stuff, I'm not comfortable with adults doing it. I'm, I, when it comes to adults, I'd rather listen and not teach anything. Mm. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> well, let's try to finish up here. Um, we only got um, one more paragraph to go. So let's try to finish that up. Um, so um, she's talking about in this last paragraph, how God wasn't pleased with many of the children of Israel. And that's why they were overthrown in the wilderness. And she says that they were, these things are written down for our, as an example to us um, so that we don't lust after evil things. They lusted. They were idolaters. Uh, they would sit down and eat and drink, and then they rose up to play, play. <laughs> and she said many of them committed fornication. And she said uh, many of them tempted Christ. And, and a lot of times they tempted Christ because they were murmuring and complaining. They wanted quail to eat. So what did, what did, what did Jesus do? Gave them so many. He gave them their wishes. Yes, he did. He gave them what they and wanted. they ate so much till they burst. <laughs> right, they were dying. Um, then they were they were destroyed by serpents in the wilderness, and said well, many of them murmured and they complained and mm -hmm. just all kind of things. And 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 they even complained about his provision for them, which which you know that was part of the quail thing. They didn't want just manna; they wanted meat. Mm -hmm. Um. And so they were destroyed by the destroyer. And, and, and you know, Satan, Satan loves to destroy. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. So he loves to That's destroy. Right. So, yeah. so that, that, he loved doing that. But um, 
It says all of these things were written so that we would know what happened to them because of those things that they did. And so um, we needed to, it says, wherefore let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. Mm-hmm. And then in this last paragraph, it says, has God changed from a God of order? What is you all no. response to that? No, no, no. Mm-mm. And it says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And he is as particular now as he was then. And he designs that we should learn lessons of order and organization from the perfect order instituted in the days of Moses for the benefit of the children of Israel. So let me ask a question. Let me throw out a question. How do we learn order and organization from those things that were written down for our benefit that happened to the children of Israel? What, how do we learn from that? Well, I guess I'll be like Lakita, that uh, when you talk about black history, the same with those children of Israel. If you don't look back and see what God has done in the past, and realize he's able to do it because he's a non-changing God, even for us at the present. If you don't learn from your mistakes in the past, then you will continue to make those mistakes if you're not studying what, what, what Christ asks you to do, if you're not studying his word, getting to know him personally. Then you will miss everything that God had done when he sent his son on that cross. Amen. Yeah, I agree. Is that is there to is for us to like she said for our example that if you do this, then this will happen. So like when they they was like we are like grasshoppers, the Lord said go over there and do such and such, and then I'm going to you know I'm going to give you the land. I don't even remember, and maybe it was said. I have to read it, but I only remember that God told them to go send those spies over there anyway. He says, go and do such and such. Maybe he did, but they went out and they felt the need to send the spies and blah, blah, blah. And then they came back and gave that report. And so now, you know, as a result of just not going ahead and moving on what God said, now you missed your opportunity. Maybe at that time, maybe at that time, the king was sick. Maybe his army was in disarray at that point, at that time. Maybe the army was smaller, you know, but once they got news that y'all over here scouting it out and everything, then they said, well, let us, you know, they over there scouting it out for a reason. So your next opportunity was 40 years later. Mm. Mm. You know, one time, Miss uh, Sister, Miss uh, Foley, I was doing literature evangelist work and she told us, you know, when you say you're going to be somebody somewhere at four o'clock, the holy angels are there at four o'clock waiting for you. When you come at 14, 415, 405, angels gone. But you were supposed to be there at four o'clock. So then, you know, here we go. I'm I'm going out with someone. And this man was buying. It was two, I was, I was working with a, a person in church, another person. And he had uh, sold a Bible, you know, like the $144 Bible. They had a this a child. Uh, uh, who was disabled. And so I canvassed her. uh, It was clear that she wasn't capable of reading or whatever. But nonetheless, I still capable. I uh, canvassed her on the Bible for $40. And so the guy was late. The man told him to be back by 2 o'clock. You have to be back by 2 o'clock because blah, blah, blah. Well, here he comes stepping in at 2.05, 2.15. He said, I thought I told you all to come at 2 o'clock. And then he was like, well, uh, uh, he said, I got to go to work now. He said, I'm sorry, I won't be able to do nothing but get up out of here and get to work. And so he didn't get his sale, but the disabled girl said, well, what? Because we didn't really leave. She said, I said, I want my Bible and I got my money. So I made my $40. (laughs) He didn't make, he never did get that sale. So yeah, you know, when the Lord tells us to do it, it's best for us to go ahead and do it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. 
Okay. Um, so we are finished with this lesson. Lee, can you tell us where we are next week? Yeah, we're going to be studying out of the book In His Steps, which is our guide to uh, following in the steps of our Savior, the 28 Fundamental Beliefs of Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're on lesson three. Last time we did lesson two, the Trinity. This time we're on lesson three, and we're going to speak specifically about the Father, and then lesson four, the Son, lesson five, the Holy Spirit. So we're on lesson three next week. Okay. And Karen, I have a final comment. Uh, to, to you and Andre, I was uh, just wanted to let you know I kept you in prayer because I know you had a loss of a loved one. And just to keep everybody informed, uh, I know Kathy Butler passed away, but I don't know anything about the arrangements and stuff that has been made. So uh, just lift the, uh, you know, huh? I didn't know. Yeah, just lift, and you're including yourself, those that are, that are in bereavement. Okay. All right. Thank you for that information, Patsy. And thank you. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thank you for joining us for our discipleship class today. We will see you all next week um, for our discipleship class, studying from In His Steps, which is uh, we're studying the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Adventist church, and we will be on lesson three. Sister Karen, are we offline? Uh, I'm going to have to go check. Give me a minute. Give me a minute.